Hey, well, thanks again, uh, Zach and Ben, for always doing such a good job with us. Uh, man, I love that song. Uh, I love the fact that we get to proclaim that very good news, uh, that, he, that Jesus is holy, uh, that uh, he is Lord God Almighty. And, and right now, we have one of our very own going to do that very thing, uh, Larry McBee, who many of you, you've heard us talk about uh, throughout the years here. He and a, a small team are on their way to the Navajo Reservation right now to do that very thing, to proclaim the good news of Jesus, to share the good news of the gospel with uh, people there on the reservation, to take them some much-needed supplies uh, th- throughout this uh, COVID pandemic. pandemic. Uh, they have been hit really hard there, and so uh, pray for them. They left this morning. Uh, the, again, this small team goes out today uh, just to take some supplies, and so pray for them wherever they are. Uh, pray that the Holy Spirit obviously is going to go before them, already has a plan for them. Uh, pray that they'll be obedient to what it is that God is calling them to do there uh, on their way uh, at, at, uh, on their way to the reservation. I just want to thank you uh, for being so generous along the way. We ask you to to donate and to to uh, donate in a way that you might have never done before to donate online by clicking a button and typing donate. And uh, so you've done those kind of things. We raised all the money that we needed to, to fund this mission trip because of your generosity. And so thank you for doing that. Thank you again for every time that we ask you to help, every time that we ask you to give to something, every time that we say, hey, there's a need and there's a monetary need, you actually meet it. And so thank you. Uh, thank you. Thank you for doing that. So um, uh, let me jump right in uh, to today's text. Open your Bibles with me, if you will, to Genesis 18. Uh, that's where we will be today is uh, Genesis chapter 18. Uh, we'll pick up, uh, actually going to go back to verse 14, uh, so pick up a couple of verses from last week, and then we will go back and uh, uh, start from there. So we'll pick up in verse 14. Uh, this is what the text says. Uh, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the, absolutely, that's correct. No, nothing's too hard for the Lord. At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. And so all that's from last week. And then we get into this week's text, verse 16. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, because the, outcry against, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it, far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, if I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I'll spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. I 
who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Again, he spoke to him and said, suppose 45 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 40. Suppose 40 are found there. And and, uh, he answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry. And I will speak again, but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. Now, um, if you remember from last week uh, and and earlier in Genesis 18, Abraham had basically just wrapped up this backyard barbecue that he had with God himself and two visiting angels, America's Choice and Home Care. No, okay. They they weren't those those visiting angels, but there were two angels who were with God who had come down uh, to have this backyard barbecue with Abraham. And so they had some bread. Remember, they needed all those doughs of flour, and they had killed this young calf, and they had this uh, stuff that was kind of like yogurt, and then they had milk. And that was their backyard barbecue. And so they sat down, and last week we talked about them doing all that together. And during this barbecue, whenever they're just kind of sitting around, and talking, and then God revealed some things. He had reaffirmed his promise and, uh, to Sarah and reminded them of the truth that they took away from last week. Remember what that was? And that's this. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. And so the Lord told Abraham that in one year, he said, I'm going to return, and Sarah is going to have a baby. And he was like, uh, how can this be? I mean, Sarah was old. I mean, it talks about it again, last week's text. Sarah was old. I mean, she was almost twice my age. And I'm old. Sarah was really old. And the scripture said, the ways of the woman had ceased to be with Sarah. And so there was no way, no way that she was going to actually have a baby. No way it was going to happen. And so, uh, but we also learned from last week, what's the slide say right now? Put this back on the screen. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. Say that with me one more time. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. Yeah, and so I need you to write that down somewhere. I need you to put that somewhere where you can see that. You need to be reminded of that often. I need to be reminded of that often because I find myself in many situations that I go, I don't know what I'm gonna do about this. I don't know, what I'm gonna, I don't know what's gonna happen. I don't know if God can get me out of this or not. I need to be reminded of this very truth right here. Nothing is too hard for the Lord, Okay. And so then we get into today's text. And so we'll pick up in verse 16, and this is what the text says in 16. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I've chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, because of the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, because of the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave. I will go down to see whether they have, what they have done altogether accordingly to the outcry that has come to me, and if not, I will know. 
And so this is the first thing that God says after this. Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Shall I keep it from him? Now, don't you hate that when that happens to you? I mean, don't you hate it whenever like somebody is knowing in the story or somebody's talking about something, but you don't know what's going on? I can't stand that to happen. Like, I know there's a group of people that is talking about something, and I don't know what they're talking on, and they're kind of talking in their own coded language or something, and they don't want me to know all the details about what's going on. Sometimes happens with my kids, uh, you know what I'm saying? And so they've got their own language and this social media stuff these days, and I don't always know what's going on. Sometimes it may happen at your work, you know, you're, you're in a work situation, and, and you kind of walk in from, you know, around the water cooler, or what, they even have water coolers today in works, uh, uh, so they, you walk in and then suddenly everybody stops talking or they're like change their language or they uh, just kind of sit up straight and they're, they're talking about something else. So sometimes it happens at work or uh, again with our kids and their technology, they can have their own lingo and you have no idea what it is that they're talking about or, or maybe it's you, you walk into dinner with some people and the same kind of thing happens, but I just don't like being in, not being in the know. And, and I know sure many of you uh, probably don't like that uh, as well. And so God says this, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? And, and, and then God really answers his own question um, in the text. He gives the reasons why Abraham should know about what's about to go down because it's about to go down, okay? And, and so the two things that he talks about is that it really has to do with what Abraham's responsibility is. And then he really talks about the plight of Sodom and Gomorrah, about what's going to happen to them. And, and, so, and so first, Abraham talks about this. Uh, it is, uh, or God talks about this, Abraham's responsibility uh, in what is about to come. Look what it says about Abraham being a channel of blessing into the world in verse 18. Here's what it said. Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all of the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. And, and so think about what all has transpired with Abraham so far. I mean, he had walked with God. I mean, he had spent some time with God himself. But he, had, he had been with him. He had seen him at work. He had interacted with him. You know, Abraham kind of went off the rails a couple of times and God got him back on the rails and he had called him to be this great nation. And, and then hearing even at the backyard barbecue, I mean, it takes a long time to cook even a young calf. And, and so there was time for them to sit and talk and interact with one another and just talk about things that are going on in life. And, and, then, and then he shared a meal with God. I mean, he, he shared a meal with the eternal God around his table and, and they got to talk about things. And, you know, sharing a meal around a table is intimate. That, that's really what this shows is the intimacy of this conversation. Do you do that around your table? Do you share meals with people around your table? Because that's such an intimate setting. If you've ever been to my house, and many of you have, and actually had a meal around my table, my table is beat up. It is, uh, the, the, a lot of the, the topping has come off the table already. There's been many meals shared across that table. There's been many tears shed across that table. There's been many yelling matches across that table. I and mean, there's been lots of things that have come across that table. What about your table? Do you share your table with people? If not, begin to share your table with people. Begin to open up, sit around a meal. So many things happen around a meal. And, and, and we do that with people who become our friends or people who are our friends. And, and we know that James tells us that Abraham was a friend of God. And, and friends are intimately involved in their friend's life. Now, uh, and, and friends help friends out. Now, uh, back when I was in high school, way back in the 80s, because the 80s is the best decade, right? 
I mean, look right here. This is, this is a picture of the 80s. Uh, the 80s is the best decade out there, and you, you can't even argue with me. If you, you argue with me, you're wrong. Um, there was an ad campaign that came out sometime back in this time uh, that friends don't let friends drive drunk, okay? And it was a really big ad campaign about hey, help your people that drink too much alcohol and take their keys away from them and, and don't let them drive drunk and, and, and be a helper to your friend, you know, uh, be, be with them and help them out. And, and now that's kind of morphed into other slogans along the way. I mean, friends don't let friends cut their own hair. That, that's some other things because people can destroy their hair whenever they try to cut it. We've seen that throughout this pandemic. If you have any, if you watch any of these things on uh, any of these YouTube videos. You know, friends, don't let friends skip leg day. Uh, that's another thing in, in the gym world where uh, most people don't like to do leg day, but friends, don't let friends skip leg day. And, and then lastly, friends, don't let friends go to Ole Miss. And all these are very important things to uh, consider. Um, obviously, I'm making a little bit of light of this, uh, but, but we all need a friend, Okay. We, we all need a friend. You need a friend. I need a friend. We need to be friends to people. Uh, uh, the scripture tells us that a friend is a one who sticks closer than a brother. The Bible tells us that God is that way to us. Proverbs 18.24 says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And he's talking about Jesus because Jesus is someone who does stick closer than a brother. The nice thing about this is whenever he, whenever you repent of your sins, whenever you put your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus and his righteousness, that, that you ask him for all of his righteousness and for him to take all of your sin, and the scripture tells us that he adopts us into his family. He become, God becomes our father. Jesus becomes our brother in this because of uh, the adoption into the family. And we become part of the family of God. And, but the scripture says Jesus is that friend who sticks closer than a brother. And, and, and so this was how the relationship between Abraham and, and God was described, that they were friends, that they were friends. And, and Friends know what's, knows what's going on in each of their friends' life. And, and so I'll ask you again, who are your friends? Who are the people that you know what's going on in their life? Who are the people that knows what's going on in your life? Who are the people that you give your time to and you spend your time with? Who are the people that you're cultivating those friendships with and those deep, intimate relationships with? You need to have those. You need to have some friends in your life uh, that, that will love and care about you and, and, and know that, that God created us for those kinds of very things. But in this situation where God was really described as a friend of Abraham throughout the scriptures, uh, we see that God decided it was important that Abraham knew what was about to go down because it was about to go down. And so he decided to share this with him. So, uh, so God thought that it was important that he knew what was ahead of him. So look with me in verse 19. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. And so God wanted his people to be known for, uh, by a couple of things. And he, and he talks about it in this text. He wanted them to know, be known for doing righteousness and doing justice, Okay to do righteousness 
and to do justice. Righteousness are those things that God calls us to, to put away sin, to, to, to put off our old way of thinking, to put off our old self, and to put on the things of God. And so he calls us to do those kind of things. He calls us to put on that righteousness, those of us who are followers of Jesus. So not only to put it on, but to do righteousness towards others. So it's not only doing righteousness, it's also doing justice. And just doing justice means to take others into consideration. Others who are, are being oppressed, others who are being opposed, those who are maybe even on the fringes. God, God calls us to do justice for people and to stand for justice for people. These things are called for everyone, all followers of Jesus specifically, to do regardless of what you think about people, regardless of what you like about the political climate going on today, or whether you're a Democrat, or whether you're a Republican, or whether you're an independent, or it doesn't really matter about any of those things. The scripture calls you and me, if we're followers of Jesus, to do righteousness and to do justice. This would become a major cornerstone of the law when it comes ahead, uh, when it's given, and this is what the law says. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And, and to do that, if you're going to love, I, I love me. I love me a lot, and, and I want to do right by me, and I want justice to be done with me and for me and to me. And so if I want to do that to myself, I the scripture calls me to do that and to and for other people. This is a pillar of God's people then, and it's a pillar of God's people now. And so how critical is it for the people of God to love one another, to love one another and treat other people like you want to be treated? Uh, let me ask you a question. How would your life change if you lived this way? I mean, if you really took this into consideration, if you really took this, 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 these words to love your neighbor as yourself, how would your life change? How would you live differently if you loved your neighbor as yourself? What steps do you need to begin to do today to love your neighbor as yourself? Those are important questions, especially for those of us are part of the household of faith. The reality is Sodom and Gomorrah were the antithesis of this. It was the very opposite of loving your neighbor as yourself. These two cities were the starkest and darkest contrast because their lifestyles were the polar opposite of righteousness and justice. So what's about to happen to the, these two cities and its inhabitants would, would be an ongoing reminder to people around that would see the ruins of Sodom and Gomorrah. To, to, for Abraham's offspring to look back and see what had happened to Sodom and Gomorrah, it would be a testament to what happens to a people who reject righteousness and justice. Uh, Peter writes about this in the New Testament. He talks about this in 2 Peter, 4, uh, 2 Peter 2, verses 4 through 10. Let me read that to you. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, 
greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. We're going to talk about that in the weeks to come. For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. God knows what's going on. God knew back way back in this, this Genesis time, whenever we're talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, he knows about it today. He knew about it in Peter's time, and he knows about it today. God goes on then talks about Abraham's responsibility uh, after that, and he talks about Sodom's condition. He talks about this is what it looked like in Sodom. Look with me in verse 20. He says, then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave. And so most of the time, whenever we talk about these two cities, we talk about them in a sexual nature. Most, most people, when you think about this, think about the sexual sin that was involved. I mean, I mean, the basic word around sodomy is the base word is from Sodom uh, that we read here in the scriptures. And, and so Kent Hughes, in his commentary on Genesis chapter uh, 18, talks about this very thing. Let, let me read that to you. He said, but if we imagine the sins of these cities only in sexual terms, we miss the depths of their depravity. So typically we think about sexual sin, but Hughes says we miss the depths of their depravity if that's the only thing that we think about whenever we think about Sodom and Gomorrah. The Hebrew word for outcry is used for the cry of the oppressed and brutalized. It is used for the cries of the oppressed widow or orphan. Jeremiah used the word to refer to the screams of terror by an individual or a city when it is attacked. Such an outcry is the miserable wail of the oppressed and brutalized. That's how Hughes describes what it was like in Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, Nahum Sarna says of the terms that are used here, this is what he says, they connotate the anguished cry of the oppressed, the agonized plea of the victim for help in the face of some great injustice. In the Bible, these terms are suffused with poignancy and pathos, which means with moral outrage and soul-stirring passion. The sin of Sodom, then, is heinous moral and social corruption, an arrogant disregard of basic human rights, a critical insensitivity to the sufferings of others. A critical insensitivity to the sufferings of others. Ezekiel wrote about this just a little bit in Ezekiel 16, 49. Uh, he wrote this she, about Sodom and Gomorrah. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but listen, but did not aid the poor and needy. Sodom and Gomorrah were terrible little towns where the inhabitants only cared about themselves and brutalized one another. That sounds a little bit like our cities today, where we only care about ourselves, where people only are out for themselves, only look out for what it is that they think is right, what they think is true, and what is only good for me. I'll look out only for me. And, and, and those who are brutalized, those who are left in the streets, those who are left in, to, to fend for themselves are just that, left to fend for themselves. In Sodom and Gomorrah, social violence was legally recognized. There were no human rights. The poor and needy and defenseless were especially brutalized. 
There was another historian, David Wells. He wrote this, there is a violence on the earth. The liberated search only for power. When talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, industry despoils the earth. The powerful ride roughshod over the weak. The poor are left to die in the street grates. The unborn are killed before they can even see the rich and beautiful world that God has made. The elderly are encouraged to get on with the business of dying so that we might take their place. The many forms of this violence takes in our world provides stunning reminders of how false have been the illusions about freedom with which we have for two centuries been entered into the West. And what he's saying here is that the West, where we live today, in the United States, in our Western world today, we've seen this creep in and even begin to live like this. I mean, think about this. The powerful exhibiting power over the weak. The poor are disregarded, where we just kind of let them fend for themselves. And we might feel some empathy in our hearts. We might give some lip service to things that are are, of the poor, but seldom do we actually act on that. Seldom do we actually give some of our resources. Seldom are we willing to give up our resources for the time and effort and the well-being of those who can't do anything back for us in return. Unborn are killed Countless millions are killed by abortion here in the United States today. Unborn, killed, left and right. Elderly, disregarded as afterthoughts. And violence upon violence. We still see Sodom and Gomorrah today. Lastly, in this part of the text, we see God's investigation of this. He wanted to come down and and take a look. And, and so it's interesting the way the text reads it. God, God knows everything, right? We say that with me? God knows everything. Say, say it with me one more time. God knows everything. Yeah, and, and so I believe in the way the text is written that God was really coming down to take a look at it for Abraham's benefit. Because God sees it. God knows everything, but it goes the ends from the beginnings, right? And so I believe for, for Abraham's benefit and for our for the reader's today benefit. God came down to see what was going on. Verse 21 says this very thing. I will go down to see whether they have done all to, whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. And, and so God himself basically went down and, and took another look. And he heard the cries of the people and he had compassion on their great need. And he went in bodily form down to see what was going on. That's what the text tells us. And honestly, at this point, Abraham knew that Sodom and Gomorrah were in trouble. He knew what was going on in the cities. He, he had heard now what the outcry of the people was. And, and so he knew that the outcry or, or the, 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 basically the cities were guilty of these things that God was talking about. And so then the text goes on. And so let's read what the text says from there. Verse 22. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy if I find 45 there. 
He spoke to him and said, suppose 45 are found there. He answered, for the sake of the 40, I will not do it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak, suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, behold, I'm undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry. I will speak again, but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. And what I, what I see in this thing, in the text, is Abraham really had a genuine concern for the city. And he was really concerned about what was going to happen and what was going to happen to these people, and really for these sinful citizens as well. If you notice, he didn't even talk about his his nephew Lot, he didn't talk about him at all. He's talking about, hey, for the wealth, if I can find any people there, will you just spare the whole city? We, we, we take into account the whole city, if I can find this many people. Uh, and really, this, this friend of God had become a real friend of men. He, he really wanted to see the city spared in this. He wanted to see what was going to come out. Is there any way to spare the city from destruction that was come? And, uh, and despite this moral uh, or this really immoral city inside him, Abraham had real compassion on people who were really outside the household of faith. He, he knew people in these wicked cities, and he knew what was about to come down on them. But he had care despite their wickedness and despite their sin. And, and some of you find yourself in that same kind of position today. I mean, you have friends, or you have family members, you have coworkers, or you have neighbors, and, and the reality is <clears throat> uh, some of them are neck deep in their sin. I, I mean, they're, they're up to here. They're, 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 they're really almost like up to here. They're about to drown in their sin. Many of your friends or your family members or coworkers are really indulging themselves in your sin. Maybe if you're listening to me today, you're indulging yourself in your own sin. Maybe you're one of these friends or <coughs> somewhere along the way that you are really neck deep in your sin. You're not really sure what you're gonna do. Or, or maybe you're someone who has no regard for anyone else's morality, your own morality, or don't feel like you have any moral code that you need to live to. Or maybe you know people who are blinded by their own sin and, and are just are just full speed ahead despite what the, uh, the results of their sinful living are gonna do. And, and unfortunately, we find many of our friends or our family members, or again, maybe even ourselves, living like the people in Sodom. And so I'll ask each of us today, how's your compassion for them? For those who are living with blatant disregard for others or blatant disregard for the people, how, how's your compassion for them? Abraham had great compassion here. How's your compassion for those people that you know? How, where's your concern for those who are, don't know Jesus yet? How are you caring or trying to care for people who have found themselves in this situation? Abraham had, Abraham had care for this ungodly group of people, this pagan, corrupt city. They were living destructive lives. Abraham had great care for them. Abraham interceded for them in, in hopes of saving them from destruction. And your calling and my calling today and, uh, is to intercede on behalf of others, to pray for them. Ask the God of the universe to break into their hearts, to soften their hearts, to move the scales from their eyes and awaken them to the beauty of the gospel. What, how do pagan people live? They live like pagans. How do people outside the household of faith live? They live like people outside the household of faith. How do people that don't have the Spirit of God living within them live? They live like they don't have the Spirit of God living in them. And so our calling is to intercede for them. 
Our calling is to call them to repentance, to pray and ask and believe that God is going to do something great and miraculous. We've seen him do it before. He will continue to do it. People, pray. Don't disregard people. Love and care for Abraham had a love and care for people. His plea was one that appealed to God's own character. Look what he says. He says this, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Will you indeed kill those who are righteous as you kill those who are wicked? And, and so the question is, what is Abraham asking? Or what is he assuming whenever he's saying these words? He, he's really assuming that God won't cause any of the righteous to suffer the same things that the wicked suffer. Right? That's what he's saying. That, that don't do to the righteous what you're going to do to the wicked. Look what he says in verse 25. Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And, and, and so I think Abraham was appealing to God to do what, what Abraham thought God should do. Based on the character of I know who you are and I know what you do, you're not going to have the, the righteous fair, have the same fair and, and the same outcome as the wicked. But honestly, Abraham was just wrong. And many health, wealth, and prosperity preachers will teach you some of these same kinds of things today, that, that nothing bad is going to happen to God's people that no, no calamity is going to come by the people of God. Nothing, uh, no sickness is going to come into a right-believing person of God. You know, unlike Abraham, we have the benefits of the rest of the Scriptures. Uh, Abraham didn't have Psalm 73, which scratches his head at the prosperity of the wicked and the difficulties of the righteous. If you read 73, Psalm 73, it's what it's about. It's like, how do the wicked prosper? How do, how do, the, uh, how do the righteous have so many difficulties uh, that come their way? Sorry about that. This thing is uh, causing a lot of issues. Here we go. We'll try it that way. One commentator writes this. He says this. Alexander McLaren says this. In widespread calamities, the righteous are blended with the wicked in one bloody ruin. And it's the very misery of such judgments that often the sufferers are not the wrongdoers. The whirlwind of temporal judgments make no distinction between the dwellings of the righteous and the wicked, but levels them both. Abraham didn't have this benefit to know this very thing. Abraham didn't have the benefit of the new covenant that you and I do, that we are so graciously living under, that honestly judgment can't touch you and me in this afterlife. The sense that we are in Christ, to be absent from the body we know is to be present with the Lord, right? So even if judgment does come, even if we take our last breath on this earth, we know that we are leaving this earth and we are going to be in the presence of the Lord. To live is Christ, the scripture says, and to die is gain. And Abraham was, was wrong, but his spirit was right. He was wanting good things for those who might be uh, uh, the, the, who might be followers of God. He wanted good things for them, but he was wrong in his assertion that he was making to God. He was interceding and trying and hopeful for those. Uh, we see that in the text. We, we see him asking about 50, and then we, go, we see him asking for 45, and, and he says, will you spare the city if there's just 45? What if five of those 50 don't live up to the standards? And and then the Lord says, yeah, I'll do it. And then he, then he moves to 40. He's like, well, well, you know, let me ask you one more time, God. How about if just 40 do it? And the Lord says, I won't spare, I'll spare the city if there are 40. And then, then, he, then he gets a little bit more bold. And he goes from 40 to 30. He's like, there's 30. 
will you spare the city, Lord? Yeah, I'll spare the city. And then there's 20. And the Lord says, yeah, I'll spare the city. He goes, well, if there's even 10 people, will you spare the city? The Lord says, yes, I'll spare the city uh, if there's even 10 people. But we all know what happened to Sodom, right? Uh, we know what happens to Sodom. Even, even 10 couldn't be found, 10 righteous people couldn't be found, and destruction came to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by fire and brimstone from the heaven. Can you imagine that scene? We'll talk about that in, again in the weeks to come. But fire and brimstone raining from heaven to destroy their simply, uh, to the city because there were simply just no righteous people in Sodom. Uh, and all people were destroyed, we'll find out, uh, except for Lot and his family. And honestly, that was even a gracious gift from the Lord. And so here's what we know about, here's what we know about God. Uh, we know this, God is righteous and just, okay? We, we know that about who he is. He is righteous. That is an attribute of his moral being. Uh, and because of that, all, say all, all of God's actions are just. No matter what he does, no matter how he does it, all of the things he does are righteous and just. His judgments are righteous. His actions are righteous. Uh, we can rest everything on this particular truth that, and that this will never change, that God is righteous and just. God always does what is good and right and perfect, okay? Secondly, this. God hears the outcries of humanity. God hears the outcries of humanity. Listen, God hears the cries of a baby when it's abused. God hears the cries of an old man who is beaten in the streets. God hears the cries of an abandoned wife who's left to be on her own. God hears the whimpers. God hears the silent screams. God hears you. God hears the outcry of humanity. He heard it here in Sodom and Gomorrah. He heard the outcry of those who were being abused. And because of that, we know this. God's judgment is coming. God's judgment is just like it came to Sodom. God's judgment is coming. Now, you may not want to hear that, or you may not want to believe that is true. Um, and unfortunately, usually it's the unbelieving heart that doesn't want to believe it. So if you're struggling with this, that you go, and you're beginning to dismiss me, and you're beginning to turn this off, wait, don't turn it off. Don't turn me off. Don't turn this off. Don't, don't flip to something else. Don't, don't scroll to something else. You, of all people, need to hear this because God's judgment is coming. And I know you don't want to talk about these kind of things. I know you probably tuned in today to listen to something that might be uplifting, but this is the most important thing that you're going to need to hear. God's judgment is coming. And most people who don't want to hear this is because your heart is hardened. Your heart is hardened toward the things of God. You think it won't happen to you? You think you don't deserve it? I get it. I, I understand what you're talking about. Most people we see in the scriptures, they don't want to hear this when they're outside the household of faith and they want something else. They want people to tickle their ears. It's what's happening many times today is you just want people to tickle ears with something good and God is love and you just want to hear the good and soft and kind attributes of, of God. But God is a God of judgment as well. He will judge sin and he will judge you with your sin if you do not repent and believe just like he did to this city, just like he did to Sodom and Gomorrah. 
This story about Sodom and Gomorrah is written to have it be a sobering reminder to us all, a sobering reminder to us all that God is a God of judgment. I have a friend, Victor Gosset, he is he's a friend of mine here in the city, and he actually sends us out something, Christian guy, follower of Jesus, and he actually sends us out some guys I'm in a group chat with, something out every Sunday morning, uh, and, and I wonder what he sent them out today that I thought was very poignant to our text today. I'm going to read it to you. He says this, we see the shamelessness of sin. We see everywhere covetousness and self-will and even our own, even our righteousness is hypocrisy and men-pleasing. But when it, is pros, when it is proposed to rebuke and expose and amend our evil deeds by that evangelical doctrine, which is the word of God, we refuse to listen. We stop our ears. And that which God has sent for our good, we reject so long and so often that at the last judgment it falls. And in 2 Chronicles 36, you will find that time and time again, God warned the children of Israel, and when they did not amend at last, he let them be taken away captive out of their own land. Note what calamities ensue when the word of God is despised and condemned. And note, too, that failure to believe the word of God is a sure sign that the wrath of God will soon overtake us. The word of God and the messenger of the word are a sweet smell or savor but a savor of life to some and a savor of death to others. That was Ulrich Zwingli that wrote that. The good news for everybody who hears this today is that Jesus has done what Abraham never could do. Okay? See, Jesus became sin on the cross Jesus bore the punishment of God on the cross, the punishment that, it's, that God bears out on those who are, are deserving of sin. Jesus bore in mind in your place on the cross so that we wouldn't have to endure this kind of punishment. Fire and brimstone on the city of Sodom and Gomorrah is a picture of what it looks like for the wrath of God to fall on you and me if we're outside the household of faith. And so Jesus bore all that punishment so you and I wouldn't have to take the punishment. That's the good news of the gospel. That is the good news that we preach here every day, that you don't have to endure God's wrath. You don't have to endure God's punishment, despite even if you live like the people in Sodom and Gomorrah, as many of you do, as many, as of, as many of us have lived that same way, that we don't have to endure the punishment of God anymore because Jesus already has. That's the good news of the gospel. Paul said it best, for, he, for, for our sake, he became sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. As people of God today, we are called to live that righteous kind of life. We are called to reach the needy, those who were uh, disregarded in the, in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Those, we're called to love the sinner, even those who are like those in Sodom and Gomorrah. We're called to sacrifice ourselves, not us, Others, but ourselves for the sake of the lost. It is my call, it is my urging of you today to repent of your sins. That means to turn away from your, repent, that's a biblical word, repent of your sins. That means to turn away from your sins and put your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus, okay? That's the calling. That's why we do what we do. That's why the Refuge Church exists, is to call people to repentance today so that to give you life in Jesus so you don't have to endure the wrath of God which is to come. I, I, I want to tell you that for those who don't turn away from their sin, destruction is coming. 
It, Jesus talked about it in the New Testament. New Testament writers talked about it, that those days of Sodom, and it'll be like those days in Sodom and Gomorrah when the wrath of God comes on those who are outside the household of faith. Outside of Jesus, you are just like the people in Sodom. No matter what your sin, outside of Jesus, you're just like the people in Sodom. You deserve destruction. But God has made a way, and his name is Jesus. My hope today for you is that you'll put your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. The finished work. That means there's no more work for you and me to do to, for salvation, okay? No more work for us to do to be saved except to repent and to believe. So you can be saved. Jesus has come to save you from the wrath of God. I urge you today to turn to Jesus. How do you turn to Jesus? You may be watching this and go, how do I come to Jesus? How do I escape the wrath of God? How do I escape that which is to come? It's very simple. You do this. You say, you recognize that you're a sinner. You recognize that you are just dead in your sins, just like the people in Sodom and Gomorrah, that they were, they were people who were deserving of the wrath of God because of our sin, a sin against the holy and righteous God. Just recognize that you are a sinful person. Declare to God that you're sinful and you need the righteousness of Jesus, the 100% righteousness of Jesus that can only be found in God himself to be, a, that can, to be accredited to your account, to be given to you. How does that happen? You repent of your sins, which means you say you confess them to God and say, I don't want to do this anymore, and you believe the good news of the gospel, that Jesus came and lived the sinless life you cannot live. He died on a cross to cover your, and, and shed his blood to cover your sin debt. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Jesus covered your sin debt, the perfect lamb of God, and the scripture says that he died on the cross, and that three days later, God raised him from the dead, victorious over sin, hell, and the grave. When you believe those things, confess through your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that Jesus God raised it from the dead, you will be saved. That's my hope for each of you today. If you have questions about that, call us, text us, write us, come to my house. We'll help you any way we can. We want you to be saved. Let's pray. God, we love you.